It is great to be together this morning, and what an amazing time already of worship that we've had. Thanks for being here today. We're going to be in 1 Peter, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in the seat ahead of you, and it's also, um, it'll be on the screens in a minute. So years ago, Deb and I, we were first married, and um, we were in ministry in our first ministry position, and we were doing college ministry and young adult ministry. And so we were spending time with kind of people our age, and I think when we got married, Deb was like leading college students, and she was 20, and so that's, that was my job, and that's where we were. And um, Now, I don't know if, if you're married, if, if this has happened to you, but you, you try to find couple friends when you're married, right? And so you kind of, that's like the new dating. And so we were like hanging out with couples at the church, and we hadn't really connected, and then we met this couple, right? And they were really, really great, and we started hanging out with them and spending time with them, and um, we got to where, I remember we'd come home like, we're sitting at a house, and we're like, man, they are so great. It's so much fun to be with them. Like, we, that night, I remember we were, that, that we said that, we were sitting at Starbucks, and we were hanging out, and we found a game that was, like, randomly sitting in a thing, and we played a game, and we, like, willfully made fools of ourselves in front of everyone, and we were laughing, and it was a good time. And in the middle of that week, we found out that they were getting a divorce. We went to church with them every Sunday, we hung out with them all the time. We had no idea that their marriage was a complete wreck. That she was miserable. He had some pretty serious stuff going on. And see, what, what we did and what happened in Deb and I's life is some things really got shook by this experience. I, I wish I could say that's not the only time that's happened in our life, and I would say that if any of us have been along, around a while, you've had these shocking moments yourself in life. But what we realized is that, that we were just doing church together. We were just showing up on Sunday mornings with them, and we'd learn the Bible together, and then we would go home, and we'd live our own lives, and we'd come back, and we'd put a face on, and doing church was kind of the norm of those around us and in these circles, and what we found is that we didn't really know each other. We didn't know our struggles, our hang-ups. We didn't have an environment, a place of transparency and openness. There was this kind of game that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people were playing. And this was really catalytic for Deb and I in our life of how we began to see the church and how we began to believe that the scriptures are calling us to something bigger, that better, that there, there's this, this family in which we can know each other and be connected to another and we can, we can be honest with each other when we're struggling and we can come alongside of each other and build each other up where we can be the church to one another. And over the next two weeks, we're just gonna take some time to think about what does it mean to be the church. Now, just front matter on that, I believe in order to be the church, it's an individual decision that every person has to make is will I be, right, will I be the church in the day-to-day of my life? And so even that language, it's kind of odd to talk about, right, the church. We go to church, right? We do church things. It's, that's how we talk about it. A few years ago, we were doing a training and 
um, at my house and kind of all these families were there and all their kids. And before we, the kids went down to do their thing, we were hanging out. And so we drew on a board. We drew a picture of a church building and arrows going to it. And then we drew a group of people, just heads and stick figures because I can't do anything else. And so we did that. And then and we, we drew arrows going out from those stick figures. And so we asked the kids, we, we said, which one is the church? And the kids all pointed at the building where you went to and said, that's the church. And then <clears throat> I said, well, actually, and I like put an X through the church. And I said, that's not the church, the building, but it's the people that gather and then go out together. One of the boys that was in the room, he's older now. He's actually a high schooler now. He like, he like, it was very dramatic. And he put his hand on his head and he goes, no, you killed the church. <laughs> The church, right, we are the people of God going out. And I, I, I hope at the North Canton Chapel, what we do as individual is we choose to be the church every day of our life. Because these songs that we sang early about being justice rolling outward, this is what happens when individuals collectively together decide to be the living church of Jesus Christ in our world. And as we, as, we, as we are the church, we represent him in the fullness of his body to our world. So if you will, um, before we read this text, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say something, if you're willing. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Tell him. Tell him this morning. I just, I just saw whatever. I just saw somebody go, Whatever. Okay, now turn to them and say, say, tell your neighbor, say, you need me, right? There we go, you need me. All right, and then turn to each other, tell, tell everybody around you, say, we need each other. Tell them today, we need each other. All right, now that we've got that settled, there was some humility happening in the room, there was some narcissism happening, all this stuff was happening, so... So again, we, we say this here all the time. We exist to be the church who makes much of Jesus every day to everyone. And today we're going to focus on the beginning part of that. We exist to be the church that makes much of Jesus. So today in this text, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we're going to read a little bit of the church. So if you will, stand with me in reverence and honor of reading God's word today. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 reads... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Jesus, would you help us today to understand the full extent of this text and the full extent of who it is that you've made us to be? Jesus, we love you, we need you, and we pray that you would teach us today. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this passage today, um, uh, just some clarities on the church. There, there's two ways to see the church, and they're both equally true. So there's, there's the local church and the universal church. And so we are a local church. We are not the church. We are not the only church. We are not the only Christians in all of the world. Everybody know that? Okay. 
It's good. Um, and so there, there are people of faith all over the world, and so we, right, are a local expression of the body of Christ in our world. So the church, again, is the local church, global church, and we are, another way to see this is we are an outpost, right, an organization of a greater organism. So an organization of a greater organism, and we are members of a global community and a local assembly. And we, we won't ever truly understand the fullness of our local assembly until we, until, we, until we understand the fullness of the global community in which we are a part of. So we exist to be the church who makes much of Jesus. So in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, uh, the book of 1 Peter is written to, to the churches that have kind of, <clears throat> kind of been dispersed and the Christians who've been dispersed all over. And so uh, Peter is written under sort of hardship and tension and it's a book written saying persevere keep moving forward don't back up don't let up don't back down keep keep moving forward in the faith and this text it's a it's a text that gives us insight into what it is that God has done and the fulfillment of Jesus coming and who he has made us to be his church so the first thing that we see in the text is we are a people who belong to God so if you're following your notes, we are a people that belong to God. It sounds fairly simple, like we are a people that belong, who belong to God. So in this, we see the fulfillment of his promises. It says, but you are a chosen race, right? So the you are, this is more of a we all are, you all are, inclusive to all who believe, right? And so all of us who have believed, so if you've placed your faith and your belief in Jesus, this is you, you are, this is definitive, who you are. You are a chosen race, not Jewish or Gentile divide, but we are one people of faith now through the blood of Jesus and him alone that we are the chosen people of God. We're a chosen race. We're unique, right? Covered by his blood, set apart for him and his righteousness. So you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood, meaning that the system has changed, right? In the Old Testament, we had the Levites. They were the priests, right? They were the ones that were set apart to do this work. But now, saying in the New Testament that this is not one kind of sect, it's not one kind of tribe. Every one of us, all of us, are a royal priesthood. We are a part of a holy, royal family. We are all a part of the priesthood of believers. The system has changed. No more Levites. There's no, there's no division between clergy and laity, that, that this is one thing that we are all in, that we all play in this thing of the faith. So in the Reformation, a guy said this to me a long time ago, in the Reformation, the church got the Bible back. But we are in the age where the church is getting the ministry back. I believe that one of the greatest things that we must do as a church is embrace that we are a royal priesthood and that all of us have been called to make much of Jesus every day to everyone, not just a select few. So, continues and says that we are a royal priest, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are, set up, we are a set apart people within a people, that the kingdom of God now rules and reigns among, among us, that we are a part of a kingdom, a, a real kingdom where we have a holy God who reigns and Jesus who has authority over all things, that we are a part of his kingdom and his work. So more than I'm a citizen of the United States of America, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God and his rule and his reign and his ways define my living more than the society I live, more than the place I live, because I'm a part of a global, holy community kingdom. So 
And in this, what's unique, I believe the holy nation is this unique part of who we are as a holy nation is that where we, what we have in common is the object of our affection, that we love our Savior and we are devoted to him above all things. And so we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we are made for God's glory that we were created to, to glorify him and to honor him with all of our lives, that we were made for his purposes in this world, and we are a special people to God, objects of his affection. 2 Corinthians 4.11 says it like this, that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. Right? That the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. Right? This life coming to recognize is not mine, but it is his. I am his, and he made me for something bigger than myself. He's made me for something significant. He has made me for something powerful. He has made me for something, something beyond me. And I am someone who belongs, and I am someone who will be used by him if I surrender myself to him. So we must accept who he has made us to be and live in the confidence that that provides. Second thing that we see in the passage. So again, we are, we are people who belong to God. Second, we are, we are called to proclaim the glory of God. So we are called to proclaim the glory of God. The text continues that you may proclaim, right? Proclaim, speak, declare, joyously shout. Um, so let's just do this real quick. Um, we are to proclaim. And so um, this morning, if you are at all ever, have been ever excited about Jesus dying on the cross, just shout something out today. Maybe say like, amen, awesome, love him. Woo, woo-hoo, something. Just say something this morning. We're just gonna practice it. There we go, we got a woo-hoo over here, right? This is, this is an actual reality of like, this is, this is actually a declarative thing that we ought to do is shout and declare his praises. So if you want to go to some dead church that never gets alive, never woohoos, never kind of moves up the pace of music a little bit, it's disobedient to the word of God because we should declare his goodness, his grace. There we go. Woohoo! I can get down with that. So, so we, 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 must, we must declare, right, we, you, that you may proclaim, speak, declare, joyously shout the excellencies of him, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, the excellencies of God, they're endless. Oftentimes, we are so focused on our own lives that we question God because we're looking at the wrong place. We're looking at our circumstance. We're looking at what seems to be hopeless. But if we would lift up our eyes and we'd see him, Scripture talks about this all the time. It says, look at the bird. I mean, have you ever, like, just go home and look out the window and find some bird trying to find food in the midst of snow-covered everything? How, how does that little thing, I remember, I remember seeing a bird sitting on a tree, and it was like 20 below wind chill, and thinking, how is that, not, that thing not like an icicle? And maybe it became one, I don't know, it was pretty cold. 
But, but just the small things. He says, consider the birds of the air. Consider the flowers of the field. Look around you. Look at his majesty. Look at his creation. How does all this stuff work? How does it all come together? He is excellent in his creation. I mean, think about it in this room. And I know this is, might be hard for some of you, but like, think about the diversity in the room. Think about the, some of you call that weirdness, but I call it diversity, right? Like, like the, the diversity in this room. And the difference that each and every person has on them and the uniqueness of how God has made each and every one of us. His excellencies and not just creation in the created. His excellencies most profoundly seen in his salvation that God loved us so much that he entered into this world that his son died a sacrificial death, that his blood was poured out to cover our sin, that his body was broken to pay the penalty for our sins, that he didn't stay in the grave, but he rose from the dead, and he's exalted on high, and he has all authority on heaven and earth. He is excellent, he is kind, he is patient, he is enduring, he is all of these things. Consider his excellencies, right? So it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him that out of our mouth, that we say our God is amazing. He's amazing in all that he is and all that he has done, but he's amazing because he called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I am who I am because of God and God alone. I once was blind, but now I see. I have a testimony. I have something to say about God because God has done a great thing in me. And he says that great thing that he has done in you Shout it, proclaim it, tell it, and don't be embarrassed of it because it is wonderful. See, there is power. It's an old hymn. I sang it all the time growing up. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. See, the excellencies of what we proclaim is this power. See, he is still powerful. He is still working. His blood can, can, can forgive our sins, heal our wounds, cleanse our lives, restore our souls, make things right, change our relationships. There is power in Jesus Christ. And I say that to you today, that there is power for those in this room today. There is power to heal relationships. You are not hopeless. There is power that your sins can be forgiven today, available right now, today. There is power for your wounds to be healed. There is power for restoration to happen in life. So what does he say? That we should proclaim the glory of God. If we choose not to proclaim, we choose to not let the wonder-working power of Jesus move into this world. So simple of this is we are called to proclaim the glory of God So another way of saying it possibly is open your mouth and say something about God. So I want you to consider this question. How much in the last week did you open your mouth and proclaim the excellencies of him? I don't say that to discourage. I just say it to hopefully shine light into the reality of what this text calls us to. And if it hasn't been much, I've got good news for you. We've got a new week ahead of us. And so maybe next week at this time, that same question were asked, you could answer it differently or you could answer it increasingly. 
the same as you did this week. We are called to proclaim the glory of God. Third thing that we see in the text is we are recipients of God's mercy in Christ. We are recipients of God's mercy in Christ. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people. My story is unique and different maybe to many stories in this room, but for me, I grew up around the church my whole life. And so for a long time in my life, I always was like, well, I've always been a part of the people of God because I grew up in the people of God. Anybody else with me on that this morning? Anybody in the room grew up that way? But see, I completely disregarded all the truths and promises of God. My heart wasn't warm toward Jesus in my childhood and into even my, I mean, I was, I learned things. I knew things about the Bible, but peculiarly being faithful to him, obeying him, living for him, that was for another day for me because this was my time to have fun and do what I wanted to do. Now, I don't think I would have articulated it quite like that back then, but that was, that's true reality for me. So I was, I was there for the party, right? But at 21 years old, I realized that I had completely disregarded God. I had went my own way. I didn't love him. I loved myself. I loved my own opinions. I loved doing what I wanted to do. And that led me to a place where I was utterly miserable. And my story is I would sometimes in college look in the mirror after doing things I felt guilty over and I would say things like I really hate you I wish I wasn't you but God didn't stop pursuing me and three months after I became after I'd surrendered my life to Christ I remember driving down the road and I began to think about what God had done in my life And it was a three-hour drive from where I went to college to my parents' house. And about halfway home, I pulled over on the side of the road because I was was crying so intensely I couldn't see anymore because I was overwhelmed with joy at who I was, at what Jesus has done, that he had moved me out of darkness into his marvelous light, that he had brought joy and peace into my heart in a way I'd never experienced it before. What I'd say for you today is that if you've never experienced being a part of the people of God, if you've never experienced his mercy, it's available today. But those of you who have, maybe you're like me a long time ago, you did. Maybe for you, it's just recovering the joy of your salvation, of what it is that Jesus has done. Maybe the reason we don't proclaim it so much is because the good news has become old news rather than the good news being present news, future news, good news to tell others. See, there's this danger, I believe, of forgetting. We know it's true, so example. So say <clears throat> for you know, a couple weeks go by and I, <clears throat> I forget like, that I'm the lead pastor of the North Canton Chapel. Don't show up on Sunday mornings. That would be 
that would be problematic for my future employment here, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, maybe you've done this. Maybe there's been a day where you just went to work and you got on Facebook and you just forgot to work, right? Performance went down a little bit that week. Maybe like this, maybe um, forgetting. Um, I, may be, I, I may be guilty of this, like forgetting to parent, right? Like there's times where you're just like tired and you don't want to do it. And so you just sort of don't parent and then Debbie parents everyone. And uh, that happens sometimes. I had a guy early when we had kids text me, a friend of mine who said, don't forget to parent today. And so like, right, this thing, like parenting, it's dangerous. If you spend your whole kids' lives not parenting, what will happen? I mean, it's like really dangerous. Do people forget to parent their kids? Yeah, that's the thing, right? Do people forget to work? Yeah. It's a dangerous thing. You know, forgetting is a, is a really dangerous thing in life. Imagine this, like, maybe you spent, like, a couple weeks just forgetting you were married, right? People do that, don't they? It's called infidelity, right? <clears throat> forgetting who we are, like, these positions we've been given in life are, are dangerous. But what if you forget that you're a, person who has been brought into a royal priesthood, people for God's own possession? What if we as a church forget who we are, our place, our position in society to be the church? What if we forget that we're serving this greater organism of the church and just say, no, we're going to just serve ourselves We're just going to take care of ourselves. We're going to hoard our money. We're going to build statues and monuments and bigger buildings instead of building, building, right, men and women and sending them out and and moving to be a church that, that pushes resources out to expand the walls of the kingdom of God in our society. We must never forget that we are recipients of a reconciliation that we could have never received on our own. We must never forget that we have been made to be a, that we have received a mercy that we've never, we could never on our own. We, we must never forget that we are a part of a family in which we have been invited into by God himself. Not only should that bring us joy in our heart, but should put responsibility in our lives. Remember a little bit ago, you said it, like, you know, I need you. You need me. We need each other. What if we forget What if we forget that others need me and I need them? What if we forget that we need each other? I believe Peter is reminding us in this text that we are recipients of God's mercy in Christ, that we might not forget that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So how do we live this out? Like, what does this look like in the day-to-day of life? Well, first, I think what the text calls us to is to first live out our identity. Live out our identity. And so what this text does is it actually defines your identity for you in Jesus Christ. And so in life, we have an identity, and there's all kinds of things that we identify ourselves as. So so for some of you, I'm a a high school student, I'm an athlete, I'm this, I'm that, right? For some of you, I work here, I do this, I do that. For some of you, it's I make this much money, I drive this car, whatever. We use all of these things in society superficially to define who we are, right? We can kind of identify that, right? I can tell, this is a weird thing, I, I have a gift, and my gift is when I walk into a Starbucks, I can be like... 
there's a pastor. Like you could like spot them, right? Have you ever done that? Do it next time you go in there. They're always in Starbucks too, and you can like spot them, right? And then when somebody spots me, I'm like, darn, I look like a pastor. And so, uh, and so, um, so, so you can spot. So we all have an identity, but but in the in in the gospel in the church, as a people of God, we are given an identity, and this identity is one that is far better than the identity that we've created ourselves. In this text, it says that we are what? That we are a royal priesthood, that we are a chosen race, that we are a holy nation, that we are a people for his own possession. These are identifying markers of who we are. Another way to say kind of all of these things is, again, we are family, that we are brothers and sisters. And this isn't some kind of... um, kind of like this kind of, we, we need to treat each other as this or kind of like, not like this. This is an as thing that you, this is a reality that in this room, we are a part of a bloodline that will last forever. We will spend eternity forever with one another. So let's start spending eternity time now like we will forever, being a family as brothers and sisters. But with that comes responsibility. If you have brothers and sisters, there are some in your family that act as good brothers and sisters, and there are those that just kind of serve themselves. Have you ever been a part of a relationship in a family like this? And so you have to make the decision of what kind of family member are you going to be, and are you glorifying God in the position you have accepted in the family? Not someone else, because you are not going to answer for someone else, but for you. So we're a family. We are, we are collectively missionaries, right, to proclaim the excellencies of him. Missionary is not just some calling to the far ends of the world. Missionary is a posture that every Christian has been assigned in life. You've been indwelt with the spirit of God, and we are all living out the missionary calling in the day-to-day places of our life. I believe that God wants to change every facet of our society, and in this room, is a collection of all the facets of our society. And if you would, if each of us would, engage where we have been placed, proclaiming the excellencies of him, we would live out that missionary calling that is our identity in Jesus. But we have to decide, am I a missionary? Scripture says if you're a Christian, you are. Another kind of identity is a servant. This is maybe baseline. But if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, right? this is our position, learners of Jesus Christ, what did he teach us most supremely? To serve, to come underneath others and to build them up, to give of our lives for the sake of others. Jesus supremely taught us to be servants, but primarily to be servants of him first and then others as our neighbor, as loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are servants this is an identifying marker of who we are. And again, then, learner. Right? We are disciples, learner of Jesus Christ. That I understand that I don't have it all figured out. And Jesus, would you teach me your ways? Jesus, that your life might be manifested in my mortal flesh. Teach me your ways and help me live them out in the day-to-day of my life. So that's the first, that we must live out our identity. If we want to be the church, what this text says is that we must live out our identity, embrace it. Second, proclaim his majesty. Proclaim his majesty, right? And this happens, I believe, kind of practically in in some different ways. First, we proclaim his majesty to ourselves, 
proclaim his majesty to ourselves in our lives, if we do not remember the good work that Jesus has done, we won't tell others the work. So oftentimes we, we treat the gospel like this. Gospel is this message I tell people, and so it's like a book on the shelf that I take off and I hand to someone. I don't really think that's how the gospel works. I think the gospel is more of this working inside of my heart, inside of my soul. Right? And so the Apostle Paul says that, that, that the gospel should train us, like that this work of Jesus, this affection that I have for him. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4 that beholding him, right, that, that we should, we all now with unveiled faces, beholding him, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, fixing our eyes on Jesus, seeing the completed work of what he has done for ourselves. We must proclaim to ourselves the good news of Jesus. Proclaim his majesty to ourselves, and we must proclaim it in the family of faith, right? To our brothers and sisters in Christ, we must proclaim the good news of the gospel to each other. And it works in this way, as if John Thomas comes up to me and he says, man, I'm really down because of this, this, and this. I can proclaim the good news of the gospel as, hey, John, you don't, I understand that might be a hard situation, but don't forget Jesus, Don't forget of his reconciliation power. Man, these relationships that are getting you down, trust in Jesus. Pray to him. Remember what he has done in your life. Remember what you've seen him done and let him come through, encouraging each other in the good news of the gospel. And then third, we proclaim it outwardly to those who are lost, who do not know him, that have not embraced him as Savior and Lord, that we proclaim his majesty, the excellencies of who he is so that they might be saved. And then third, Live out our identity, proclaim his majesty, and third application is remember his mercy. Now, proclaim his majesty, remember his mercy, we're sort of kind of one and the same, but, but I believe different in this. The good news of Jesus, that we would let it increasingly take over all aspects of our thoughts and life. The good news of Jesus, that we would let, allow it to increasingly take over all aspects of our thoughts and our life. In, in the Gospels, we have these two moments where we sort of get the whole of the Old Testament. Now, that seems kind of crazy, um, but there's some questions that are asked to Jesus. And these questions are, what, out of all the law, what is it should, we should do? Like, what, what, what is the, like what's, what's the most important? And Jesus says, well, this. And he quotes two verses from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. So here's the, he says, the totality of who you are, love God. And then he says, the second, love your neighbor as yourself. So Leviticus 19, he's quoting there, and then Deuteronomy 6 He's quoting, love the Lord your God with the totality and love others completely. So the question then gets asked throughout the teachings of Jesus, so who is my neighbor, right? Who's my neighbor? Have you ever asked that question, right? So who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is everyone, right? Everyone. So how do I love my neighbor? So a good question to ask yourself is how am I doing loving my neighbor, right? How am I doing loving my neighbor? I heard a guy say it like this this week, um, He said, the same indifference a young mom has to seeing the neighbor in her belly as a life 
the, the, the indifference a young mother has of seeing the baby in her womb as a life is the same indifference that we have in seeing a homeless man and disregarding them and acting as though they don't exist. So the question, introspectively, of neighboring is, who do you act like doesn't exist? Who are the people around us that we disregard? The justice that we do not engage in, or the injustice we do engage in, that disregards people. So he says, love God with the totality of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. See every person alive on this planet as though they are alive and worthy of dignity and respect and honor. And then, at the end, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives one more command. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. So I call this like the GC squared principle, the great commandment and the great commission. Love God, love your neighbor, make disciples. This is the whole responsibility of the church. And this is, again, collectively, all of us together and individually embracing this, being the church in the day-to-day of our life. And so when we think about who, what it means to be the church, I guess the question I'd ask is, how much have you embraced our God-given calling as the church. Embraced in your own life, your place in the kingdom of God. And I tell you, it's good news today, church, that you have an identity in Jesus that is far greater than all the identities that you can seek after in this world. We have a mercy that can be found in Jesus that is far greater than any amount of mercy that we can give. And when we seek that source, and when we give this out with our life, we will, I believe, be a vibrant church in our world sees change come. And so, in the, and today, in response, I don't know what it is that God's saying to you, but I do know that there's one great way always to respond when God speaks, and that is simply to do whatever it is he is saying, even if it seems hard. See, there's this old rule in football um, that you don't tackle a guy right, at the yard line he's at. You tackle him about three yards behind that because then you'll blow him up, right? That's how that works. And I'm all about blowing some people up. That's how I broke my nose and so, uh, in, in high school. And so, um, I, I, you know, when you, when you punt a football and you're going down to tackle, you're, he's supposed to catch the ball before you hit him, um, I didn't do that and got a flag and broke my nose. And so, uh, but you tackle through a person. I believe that, that a lot of us are just comfortable kind of right where we are. And, and I believe that today's sermon, I think next week, is going to be saying, hey, you need to be like three yards beyond where you think you want to be. You got you to get tackled through this place you are. You got to let God hit you beyond this, move you past where you are. And one of the things we say around here all the time is what is your next step? And I simply say this, that every week that we come and go from here, this local assembly, you're going to be challenged. That is one of our goals every week here is to challenge us in the faith because we, we don't want to be comfortable where we are. We don't want to just have a woohoo service where that's all we do. We do want to woohoo, though. But we want to make you uncomfortable where you are. We want to, we want to challenge you in God's word. We want to encourage you in God's word and the faith and where you are. So the question simply is, for each and every one of us, whether you've been in the faith for a day or you're going to be new to the faith today or you're, you've been 
around this for 50 years. We all have a next step. And so what is your next step? And as we sing this last song, I just encourage you to commit to God your next step to respond in obedience to his word. And I believe if we do that for a year, two years, three years, five years, God will make us something we never thought we could have been. And we will praise him even more for it. Let's bow together. Father, help us. Help us today to respond to your word. Jesus, we believe. We believe that you have made us uniquely to be your people, to have an identity in you, that we don't have to be identified by the superficial things of this world, but we can have peace that we are your children and have everything we need because of it. That we can have peace that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a people for your own possession. That God, we are yours and you are ours. Lord, we desire to proclaim your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we thank you that you have moved us out of darkness and into light. That once we were a people that didn't have mercy and now we do, we worship you for that. So Lord, help us to take our next step. Help us to move forward. Help us to be the church. So the person struggling is hiding today. Lord, I pray that they just find someone to open up to and find help and hope with. Or for those that you're doing great things in their life, Lord, I pray that you would You'd help them not keep that to themselves, but extend that out in relationships and come alongside of others and build them up. And together as your body, might we be the church to one another and our world that we truly might glorify you with our lives, Jesus. Help us respond. Help us to take our next step with whatever you said. I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.